when was the last time that you played <laughs> with you while we were getting ready because we were being silly an hour ago when i put together a little lego build growing chalk dust you know the holy chalk that's part of the indian celebration in the spring we did that for my daughter's birthday party where like we all just wore white t-shirts and got all dirty and let go of being in our heads and let go of having to be adults. I played yesterday. My son is doing a science project and he wanted to build a catapult. Oh, I played over the weekend. I was just home with some family. We played a game called Triominoes. And uh, I went home, and I hadn't played it before, and so I read the instructions. See, this is why I'm no fun. I was just telling you I'm, I'm engaged, and I'm moving with my fiancé and his son soon, and, and I was just on the phone with them. We got into some series of impersonations. Oh, um... I would say today because I've been chasing my cat around just a few moments ago. When was the last time you played? Well, do we have to define what play is first? I don't want to ask you questions. I'm like, tell me about that. I'm listening. Welcome to the final episode for this season of the Lead with a Dash of Play podcast. Here we talk about the how and why of reclaiming playfulness as adults in order to build more connected, innovative, and human-centered workspaces. Isn't that what leadership is all about? I'm your host, Mary Hendra. You just heard the very briefest of introductions from my amazing guest this season. Bridget Quigg, a consultant and facilitator bridging improv and management, who was also soon to be married. Paul Sandbar, an ingenuity and executive coach. Wendy Rongbrauer, a facilitator, an inclusion consultant, and a somatic-based executive coach. Mark Collard, CEO of Playmeo, Dave Mastronardi, CEO of the GameStorming Group, and Jocelyn Brady, Brain Coach. Collectively, they draw on careers that include marketing, psychotherapy, sales, tech, and more. I started this podcast because I wanted to talk with people about play. Why? Because I felt this tension, this perceived conflict between a sense of playfulness, which can bring such joy and creativity into our connections and our workplaces, and the seriousness associated with work culture, a seriousness which can shut out play. I spoke more about that with Wendy. I'm curious about you, Mary. It's like, how did you come to be so in touch with play in your adult life? I think there's a part of me that never lost touch for my entire like twenties and thirties. I 
always had my rollerblades and my beach toys in the back of my car in the trunk. Mm -hmm. And even if I was going on a trip and needed space, like those stayed because you never know when there's going to be a great beach path and you want to, you know, go rollerblading something. Mm -hmm. right? Um, and so there's a part of me that kind of held on to bits and pieces. I will say though, that short while ago, when somebody identified, like you have such a playful part of you that is part of your identity. There was a part of me that was really resistant to that label because I think there's so much in the adult world of if I'm going to be taken seriously, if I'm going to be taken seriously as a woman, right? Mm -hmm. I, you know, I didn't know whether I wanted that play identity to be so visible mm -hmm. um, because I wasn't sure if people would still take me seriously. Maybe that was why some people had not taken me seriously. Mm -hmm. right? So I struggle with it still a bit. And I have great joy when I lean into the play and bring that in and create those spaces. Somebody earlier today said you know, playfulness is a way of somebody saying, I feel safe in, mm -hmm. in the container you've created. And this is a space for curiosity and for creativity. And I love those elements. Mm -hmm. I think this podcast is in part a way for me to explore the contradictions as well. Of, mm -hmm. there's so much good that comes from play as adults and professionally, and we need it. Mm -hmm. And yet there is often this resistance of, oh no, that's not what work means, or this is serious business. We're teaching about really tough topics. We don't have space to laugh or be frivolous or potentially offend somebody with, with play. And because of the conversations that I'm in a lot about who made up the rules that we play by, right? Yeah. Like somewhere those rules came down the pipe as the way that modern humans behave. And then yeah. and, and we, we bought into it. And so there is a opportunity to start unwinding that now, you know, as we have this awareness and as constructs are changing and the way of work is changing, like how do we grab the spotlight and say, you know, play is allowed, that play is vital. Yeah. So one of the things I've learned in creating this podcast is that I'm not alone in feeling the tension between work and play. But I'm hopeful. As Wendy noted, we're sitting in a unique time. In particular, the pandemic has sparked new conversations about work, challenging many of the assumptions previously made about what work needs to look like and feel like. And I think this conversation about the space for playfulness at work is one people want to have. At the same time as my podcast series released this summer, Harvard Business Review and the New York Times both published stories about the powerful, positive impact of play. And NPR did a series on the takeaway about play at work, featuring Dr. Lori Santos, podcast host for the Happiness Lab. I think people want to bring play back into their professional spaces, but it's not always easy. Bridget shared this story in our first episode. 
Do you get resistance from people oh, yes. when it's during the work day? Of course. One of my favorite stories is last summer, I worked at a hangar. This was a hoot. This is a private jet company here in Seattle. They, so they had private jets. And so they, they got their pilots together for a barbecue after, you know, the pandemic had been going on for a while and everybody hadn't been hanging out. So I get into this beautiful setting with these gorgeous planes in this hangar and this group of mostly men. There was one woman pilot there and the, everybody's in their matching polo shirts and very tidy. And a lot of them are military currently you like as this is happening and so the woman gets up and does my least favorite thing she's like Bridget's here to teach us about improv and everyone's shoulders <laughs> straight back straight up faces went completely emotionless and just everything tightened and went in and they're just their whole body stiffened and it was like the answer was no I will not be doing that she tells what happens next in the full story but I think a lot of us can relate even just to that stiffening body there's extra pressure when play is brought into a work situation when it's not usually part of the culture or when it's a type of play that isn't our usual practice, isn't our personal favorite, may even make us feel particularly vulnerable. When I asked Wendy about this, she had this to share. Well, I think play is uncomfortable for adults because we've relegated it in our society as um, childlike behavior or in the realm of childhood, right? And we have to leave it behind in order to grow up and be a grown up. And yet, because work is the, in the past, nine to five, show up at work, be serious and be productive and get everything done, um, we don't have that breathing room and the space to bring our whole selves. That's it. That's the tension. Paul shared a personal reflection very similar to mine. I guess first and foremost, and this is quite apropos, uh, play is at the center of, of really everything that I do. It took me uh, a little bit of time to uh, accept that that was my truth. I fought it, um, not in the sense that I didn't want to, to have it be at the core of my being, but it was more about, is this acceptable in the business world, in, in the executive coaching world? Now, to show just how much play is part of Paul's identity, listen to one story he shared, which I didn't include in his original episode, just because of time, but it is such a special story, and I wanted to share it with you here. So I'm getting married and my, my partner, Sandra, comes from a, a playful background themselves. That is a connection that we made very early on. Through her wonderful amount of love for me, she has graciously allowed me to bring some toys to our wedding. <laughs> um, and, and really the whole wedding is going to be very experiential. It is definitely not going to be a buttoned up affair. <laughs> um, Lego art is a relatively new way of, of using Lego. There are these very small, they call them dots. And essentially, if you can picture pointillism uh, in our art history or our elementary school art class, uh, it, it, Lego art is pointillism using these Lego dots on a canvas. And, and so we uh, have commissioned a, a some Lego art of the two of us and uh, 
<laughs> yeah. And, and what's really cool because it is, yes, it is our day. It's about us, of course, but for me, it's about experiencing and engaging with, with art. We both love uh, experiential immersive art. And so everybody uh, attending is going to get their Lego and around the frame essentially of the Lego art is a space for everybody to decorate it in, in whatever way they want. So the end of the day, we are going to have an artifact. And, and I use that a lot in my facilitation artifact. If you don't mind me capitalizing the A-R-T in artifact um, is something that tells a story about a people, about a culture. And it also allows there to allows that story to be anchored in that moment. And so everybody is going to decorate the frame and in the middle is going to be the picture of us. And, and it'll be something that I know for a fact we will remember forever because I'm going to force Sandra to allow me to have it somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) They're very excited about that. And there's, there's something which feels so beautiful and concrete about all the people that you've invited to this special event are, are contributing to the memory created. And that's really what a wedding is, right? One of it, of course, is to commit and, and to have that, that ceremony for you and your partner. But the other part is to give thanks to all the people that helped you get to that moment. And so for me, that is my way of, of having them be there as well, because without them, we wouldn't have gotten this far in life. And, and so them being able to, to apply themselves, their art to our artifact um, is going to be really meaningful for me. Because, because like I said, it, it couldn't have made it happen without them. Well, congratulations again, and thank, thank you, you for sharing that special, special creation with, yeah. with all of us. One might think the answer to this perceived workplay tension is simply that adults and youth play differently. And there might be something to that, but many of my guests talked about playing with children or tapping into their inner child. When I asked Mark specifically about this, his answer was telling. I asked if he had or recommended different games based on age. You might remember that As the CEO of Plemio, Mark has put together a collected, curated uh, database, really, of games that can be played, that are played by consultants and facilitators and teachers. And I asked if he had or recommended different games based on age. It turns out he did originally have games sorted by age, or at least he had a filter where people could sort by age, but they found they were checking all of the age boxes for all of the games. Instead, he came to this conclusion. So it is equally applicable to adults as it is young people. 
the repertoire is no different, but how I design it, how I frame it possibly is because I'm going to be talking to a different group of people who have a different level of pretend or pretense. There it is again, that tension between work and play leading to a level of pretend or pretense. So what about that definition of play? When I first started these interviews, I thought, oh, like, surely there is a common definition that could help or a different way of defining it. In fact, originally, my podcast working title was Play Redefined. And I thought maybe if we just redefine it together, that could help. So I asked every one of my guests how they defined play. 201, they were reluctant to define it. And I've seen that in the literature as well. Jocelyn and Mark came closest, though. So here's how each of them responded to my question of how do you define play? Do you have a definition of play that you like to use or reference? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I think I defer a lot to, like, I loved, uh, I love Dr. Stuart Brown's work um, and his book on play. And he, you know, talks about it in the context of play as something, as an activity you enjoy that doesn't have a purpose necessarily. Mm. I really like that. And I, I think of play as just something that feels good and, and is silly. Uh, so I think it, you know, it doesn't have to have some, I, I'm thinking of this in, in, in like context of talking to people in, in corporate <laughs> places. Sometimes they're yeah. like, ew, I don't want to, what do you mean play? I'm not doing a silly dance at my desk, you lunatic. And it doesn't have to be that. It could just be like, you know, maybe it's, um, uh, just the way that you, maybe it's doodling something, a little happy face to yourself. It'd be yeah. very small thing. It doesn't have to be uh, anyone else's definition. If I had to give a definition for play, it would be a nourishment of soul. Mm. I still love that definition. Like Jocelyn, Mark also specifically referenced Dr. Stuart Brown during our conversation. So it might be helpful to pause here and share a little bit more about what he had to say. Dr. Brown, like so many of my guests, starts with a reminder about how individual play is. It varies with each of us because part of what makes it play is that the individual finds it to be fun. And that's unique to the individual. Dr. Brown goes deeper into this diversity of ways we play by defining eight play personalities. Now, go to the book to get all of the details because it is fascinating to hear the descriptions of each one of this. The book is called Play, How It Shapes the Brain, Opens the Imagination, and Invigorates the Soul. Here are their names. The Joker, the Kinesthete, the Explorer, the Competitor, the Director, the Collector, the Artist or Creator, and the Storyteller. I think I had all of these on my podcast this season. Dr. Brown says, when people know their core truths and live in accord with what I call their play personality, the result 
is always a life of incredible power and grace. As a side note, I was inspired by these descriptions and a book I'd been reading on data visualization to create a play portrait. You can check out mine and get the steps to make your own on my website, maryhendra.com. While there was reluctance to define it, every one of my guests talked about the benefits of play. Here's Wendy and Mark. What does art allow us to talk about? You know, what does it allow us to see that we might not have been in contact with before? When people sort of just are embracing play, there's no win or lose. They all want to be a part of it. So they're volunteering the time. They're not actually aware of what's necessarily going on around them. That's that thing called flow, the science of flow. Um, And you you want it to continue. These are some of the basic elements of what makes up play. And when you introduce that to a group, so it starts with play. And it's like, there's this little mini formula here, uh, uh, Mary, that that I frequently use. It starts with play and it moves to opportunities for interaction. Because without interaction, you can't have the next step, which is sharing. You can't, you can't necessarily jump from play to sharing either because play sometimes can be on your own. So there needs to be elements of interaction. And then there's sharing. And sharing is the bedrock of trust. These are some of the comments that led me from just trying to redefine play to truly believing that play is a leadership skill seeing new opportunities, new meanings, building trust, getting in flow. In my own experience as an executive leader for teams of individuals, I've seen a little bit of play and an embedded playfulness in our team culture helped us navigate the extreme pivot of the pandemic, become one of the most successful and innovative groups in the organization, respond to significant organizational change, even layoffs. I believe that play has impact on us both internally and externally, and both are important for leadership. We don't spend as much time talking about the internal, but for me, quiet, reflective play is something I do every day often with art supplies. It is what reminds me of what's important to me. It grounds me in my core being. It helps me let go of stresses, of outside expectations, of some of the troubles of the outside world in order to be able to process it more effectively. Play facilitates a curiosity of self both for problem solving and for having the humility to change. This is what helps me as an individual making decisions about my professional path and as a founder CEO of my own business. There's research that backs these results, including great books and podcasts like The Happiness Lab with Dr. Lori Santos and Chatter by Ethan Cross, or Burnout by the doctors Emily and Amelia Nagoski. Externally, 
play we see builds stronger connections. It lets us experiment. It increases our ability to build creativity together. There are a lot of great resources which show research in this area as well, including Adam Grant's book, Think Again, and Daniel Coyle's book, The Culture Code. So here's where I'm left and what I'm still pondering after one season of Lead with a Dash of Play. I know that I am not alone in feeling the tension between work and play and in wanting to have more playfulness in our professional spaces. The benefits are just so great to us individually and for teams. And I understand how unique an individual play is and how much complexity there is to bringing play into the workspace. So next season, and yes, there will be a second season of Lead with a Dash of Play, I want to really lean more into the leadership elements. As I mentioned, I wasn't setting out to make a podcast about leadership. I wanted to redefine play. And along the way is when I recognized that play really is perhaps the most underestimated leadership skill. So let's explore that a bit more. What can play do for leadership? How do leaders actually bring play in and cultivate that culture that includes a dash of play within their professional spaces? And I really want to understand more about the power dynamics. It was a question I raised with a lot of my guests, but not an area where I think there's much research yet, so it's very anecdotal. But I experience and I witness the difference that power dynamics makes when we create spaces to play. Gender identity, racial and ethnic identity, language, I wonder if there is more to be seen and discovered here around the power dynamics that would help us better understand and better cultivate spaces that feel fun and playful and joyful for all of the people that are there. As I dive into these new questions, who should I talk to? What should I know about? What other questions should I be asking? Email me at mary at maryhendra.com or join the conversation on LinkedIn where we're trying to redefine play and reclaim this leadership skill for its potential to bring authenticity and joy into our professional spaces. A big, big thank you to my friend Reza Zaidi and to Joanna Stevens for the beautiful music you hear in this podcast. And thank you for listening to the Lead with a Dash of Play podcast this season. I'll leave you with another montage of our guests. If you've been listening to the podcast, you know I've asked each to share an invitation to play at work. They explain each of these much more fully in the individual episode. But for those of you with really busy schedules who haven't had the chance or who need a quick reminder, here is the briefest of overviews to carry you through until the next season. Thanks again to my guests, 
whose suggestions for play are reflective and connective and sometimes just plain silly. We can all use a good laugh. Here they are. Paul, Dave, Bridget, Jocelyn, Wendy, and Mark invite you to think about one more way you could bring playfulness into your workday. Find an object that anchors you in a positive place and bring that object to work. Literally, I'm asking you to go back to being five and go back to show and tell. And hopefully somebody will say, well, what, that's, what did you, you have something on your desk that you didn't before. A fun one to do that's a little more creative and imaginative is the cover story. People love the cover story. The the idea is that you imagine your team or your organization on the cover of a magazine for First, you did something wonderfully fantastic. Um, and to think about that future. Could you leave our listeners with one invitation to play at work? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But just adding a little little laughter, a little silliness, or a little nickname, or any way to make someone, just a little levity in the email that you send, something funny you thought of that day, anything, just to take the tightness and just soften it. Um, maybe do some one communication today. That alone actually is hitting the play button for people in their in their souls. Well, one of my absolute favorite exercises is sometimes I get in trouble for saying this, which is usually when I know I'm in the wrong room. It's called shitstorming. We are all fantastic at coming up with bad ideas. It's like a competition for the worst idea. It's fun. We don't feel like we have, we're not pressured to say the right thing, the correct answer. Ooh, people are going to think it's dumb. It's like, no, we want them to think it's dumb, right? So, yay. It's called a brain fry. And it's called three things. And the, the key essence here is speed. The way it works is everyone makes a fist with their right hand and you pound it to your left hand and at the same time everyone says three things and then the first three things that come out of your mind whether they're actual things they don't have to be true they don't have to be right they just have to be fast out of your brain that's where the silliness comes from reach out dear listener <laughs> Find a friend, find a family member, find a colleague. This will take you no more than 10 seconds, but take your right hand and place the palm facing up as if you are holding a tray. Then place your left index finger into the tray of your partner. They will place their left finger into the tray of your palm. And then, when I say go, each of you is going to try and catch the finger of the person eating your food at the same time, you're trying to avoid being caught. And every single time it triggers bursts of laughter.